Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday. I'm glad to be able to to be here this morning. I, I thank God for that, and I'm glad that uh, I had the opportunity to to bring a word to you this morning, God's word. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to believe. Uh, here we are in the last couple of weeks of December, about to uh, embark on a new year, Lord willing. And uh, but with the season that surrounds us, and and you know, it doesn't matter how you really feel about Christmas. You can't hardly uh, be alive this time of year and not see all the hubbub going around uh, about Christmas and, and the shopping and, and everything else that goes into it. And I have some opinions about that. But but uh, at the same time, I do... Uh, feel that it's an opportunity in a lot of ways to maybe uh, witness to people that sometimes may not hear about the Word of God. Uh, I also think as Christians, we can push this season a little too hard on people, and and uh, we, we tend to, we tend to, and what do we say all the time? Remember the reason for the season. And if the truth be told, you know, and I don't, I'm not arguing with whether you celebrate Christmas or not. That's not the point here. You can do, I think you can do either one and be okay. But the truth of the matter is, is Christmas was not a Christian holiday to begin with. And, and so I'm just saying, it, you, there's a good argument there that, that Jesus wasn't originally the reason for the season. I don't think it was a bad thing what Christians have done trying to uh, make Christ a part of it so that more recognition is given to him. But we have to be careful with how far we push that. But that's completely off the subject of really what I'm preaching on this morning. I am going to preach about the birth of Christ. Uh, and I'm going to be coming to you from Luke 1. I'm going to read 26 through 38. And then I'm going to skip over to chapter 2 and I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. And the title of my sermon this morning is, Who is this woman? Who is this child? And I'm going to just look at Mary and then I'm going to hopefully look at Jesus and, and bring out some very important um, facts about each one. So Luke 1, 26 through 38. And then 2, 6 and 7. Beginning in verse 26 of chapter 1, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when he saw him, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great 
and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not? Amen. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. Now over to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it's, so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray. God, again, we just come before you thanking you for your word and thanking you for... Uh, the way that it speaks to us. And God, I just pray that uh, the words that are brought forth here today, God, and the worship that uh, comes that we're already in part of, God, that they would be pleasing to you. Um, God, that, uh, that God, we, uh, God, as sinners, would just draw closer to you, God, in Christ. And God, we pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who is this woman? Mary, the mother of Jesus. We get most of our information about Mary from two Gospels. And even at that, even at that, we don't really learn a whole lot about Mary. But we do learn some important facts. And they're certainly well worth mentioning. And uh, what I want to do is bring the proper recognition to this woman Mary, but also keep her in her proper place. And I think that, you know, the Word of God obviously appropriately does that. But what do we learn about Mary? Well, just from the fact that she lives in this town of Bethlehem, we know that most likely she was just a peasant woman married to a peasant man, although, or engaged, betrothed, which essentially meant you were married. It wasn't consummated yet. This usually lasted about a year. And we, we know that, that Mary uh, was, was most likely rather poor, as was Joseph. We also know that both Mary and Joseph were of the lineage of David. Uh, but more than likely, more than likely, if it had not been for this occasion right here, we would know nothing about Mary and Joseph. Amen. They were just poor people living in a poor town uh, that we would have essentially known nothing about. But what do we know about Mary? Well, the other thing that we know as this angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary, and as we see in our 
scripture this morning was sent by God, we see that she was well favored. Now this is a difficult phrase because it's only used two times in the Bible. And if both times are in the New Testament, and it is used once again in Ephesians 1 through 6, and instead of well favored there, it is actually, uh, uh, I'm going to go over and read it. it. It's actually translated differently. And I'm going to read that verse to you. Now, these are the only two times that this Hebrew, this Greek word, I mean, happens in the uh, Bible. And it's in Ephesians 1.6, if I haven't already said that. And it says, to the praise... Well, let me back up a little bit and, and just read what Paul is getting to here so that we can take this in context also. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, verse 6, pay attention to this. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, made us accepted. That phrase right there is that other Greek word. The only two times they're used. One time it's translated well favor. The other time made us accepted. Well, now, I think it's worth mentioning that certainly there's a reason why these writers use this word. I mean, this is God's word. And when I look at the different aspects of those verses, I see that in Ephesians, he's talking about those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, who have by faith believed, and he, it's God that has made us Accepted. Uh, you could say from that perspective that when I, by faith, accept Christ, I'm well favored by God. I think what sets what what sets Mary apart in this situation is he wasn't talking about salvation. <clears throat> he was talking about her position that she was about to take as the mother of this child. And while well-favored, I, I mean, I can't give you the express reason this word was used, really, but, but my mind takes me to the fact that Mary was the one chosen, okay? And, and so what I'm pointing out here is, of all the women that could have been chosen, Mary was. That sets her apart. I mean, no other woman is ever going to experience what Mary experienced, right? Amen. It's not going to happen again. Happened once at the perfect time in history by God's design. And Mary was the one that was chosen. Now, there's important things to bring out about Mary about why she was chosen. 
Um, and, and as we look through these verses, we can pretty much see all that we need to know. First of all, we know that God sent the angel to her. God chose her. God chose her himself to be uh, this person. I don't, I mean, folks, each and every one of us in here, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're chosen. You're chosen to do something. It's not going to be to have baby Jesus. But you're chosen. You have something to do. I don't think this was Mary's first experience with serving God. I think Mary, and more than likely she was a very young lady still, somewhere probably around 16 years old. We don't know this to be exact. We're just... It's just because of the way things were then that was normal to be betrothed by the time you were 15 or 16 years old, maybe even younger sometimes, but more than likely she was at that age. But as we look through these verses, we see some, and, and here are some telling things about her that brings us to believe, brings me to believe by God's word that she was a servant of God. Okay, first of all, we can look at verse 38 and her response. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Submissive. God, I mean it tells this boy she's thinking about what kind of salutation is this I'm dealing with here. Yet in the end she says, God, I'm your servant. How many times do we say that to God? Are you willing to be a servant? Are we willing to be a servant? You know, I can't imagine in her mind what she's thinking about what she could possibly be going through. Do you know what it was to be pregnant out of marriage at this point in time? But I believe by faith Mary accepted by faith, Amen. she trusted God. You know, by faith, we read Hebrews, I'll, I'll refer to it again later, but Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, we see all these things that people did that were great for God. And they're mentioned there in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. When we look at verse 30, go back up to verse 30, we see there that the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, this is a different word than well favor. This is the normal favor you'll see throughout. And more times than not, it's actually translated grace. But again, it says that Mary has found favor with God. Can we find favor with God? Can we find favor with God? Sure we can. I mean, Mary did. Amen. You know, I, I think it, to a lot of us, when we put ourselves in the proper place as sinners, it's hard to truly believe that we can find favor with God. But yet, if you read the Bible and you read the things that it says, I think we find that it's true we can find favor, but we cannot find favor with God outside of faith. But again, I refer to Hebrews, I think uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, um, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Well, if you phrase that the opposite way, then you would say, with faith, it's possible to please God. So we can find favor with God. I think, I think we find favor in, with God by serving Him. I don't think you could ever preach about uh, treasures in heaven and not say you can't find favor with God. But just because you have faith, I don't think means that you have found favor with God. I think a lot of people sit on church pews that never do anything for God. They've accepted Him as their Savior, and that's been about it. I can't say that God favors that. But I do believe we can find favor with God. I don't think it's that hard of a concept to understand we can find favor with God. And I can't tell you what all that entails. You know, I mean, that's between God and you. Uh, you know, there, there, there are so many things that you could preach about from that realm. Uh, but yes, I do think we can find favor with God. What else do we know about Mary? Uh, in Luke um, chapter 2 and verses 49 through uh, 53, we see uh, where Jesus had, where they had gone up to for the festival and when uh, she met back up with Jesus when he was around 12 years old, and this is the account, and said, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Now, I would say that Mary was probably a studier. And Mary is found to be contemplating many times what is happening in her life. When, when, when we go back to the verses uh, uh, that I read first in, in this text this morning, it, when the uh, angel Gabriel appears unto her, it says, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was, she was mulling it over, you might say, thinking about it, meditating about it. Folks, I, I mean, we as Christians, man, our thoughts, our meditations should be on God. And we should read God's Word and meditate on it. We should pray. You know, we should meditate. We should think. We should... We should mull these things over. What about, did Mary have faith? I mean, I think that we see clearly from these verses that she did. And I think as you go over again into... Uh, uh, Back to chapter 1, we see her submissiveness in verse 38, but in verse 47, this is part of her song. 
she says, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. So sure, she can find favor with God. She has faith. She has faith. Now I'm going to look at a couple of couple other texts. I'm going to turn to Luke 8, 19 through 21. And these are some other verses that indicate to us who Mary is. And it's telling, as we read these verses, that Jesus is the one speaking. Luke 8, 19 through 21. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press, for the crowd. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see you. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are those which hear the word of God and do it. Okay? Now, Luke 11, 27 and 28. Luke 11, verses 27 28. And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. And he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now, I'm gonna, I want to go back again to verse... Uh, 40, no, not 47. I'll tell you here in a second, just hold on. 49. Actually, in chapter 2, verse 49, 50, let's see, 51. And he, being Jesus, went down with them, I read this a while ago, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Jesus was subject unto them as their, as their son. He, he's not treating Mary with disrespect by no means whatsoever. We know by other texts that obviously he had a great love for Mary. The point is, he is separating himself now as not just her son, but a savior. Okay? And when it comes... When it comes to being a Savior, here's the deal. Mary was no different than me and you. She had to come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I move from Mary to Jesus. Who is this child? Well, from our original text this morning, I would like to say that while we learn a lot about Mary, even in these verses, the main point is about Jesus. About this one that's going to be born. So let's go back and let's look at what Gabriel says. In verses 32, 33, and 35. He, being Jesus, well, let's go to 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name 
Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And the angel, Mary asked her question, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overcome thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This has been prophesied. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. You, you know, the whole book, the, the whole Bible is, is God's love story to us. And you can say, I can, I, can, I can give you his love story in one word, Jesus. You know, you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's what, that's what this all points to. And now prophecy is being repeated by Gabriel about who Jesus is, who he's going to be. So, so as I go through here, all I'm, all I'm about to do now is I'm about to read y'all a bunch of verses. I don't know if you can preach anything any better than just reading the Bible anyway. But I'm going to read you a bunch of verses, and, and all of these basically are going to be, almost all of these, i got a few others, but almost all of these are going to be who Jesus claims he is. John 14, 6 through 9. Most people know 6 without anybody having to read it to them, but I'm going to read 6 through 9. But Verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now before I say anything else, I've got to get there. You know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to go to the right book. And then I'm going to read it. That'll help. Jesus, or John 6, 9, uh, man, John 14. I am all confused now. John 14, 6 through 9. Yes, there it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth, uh, sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You hear that claim right there? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now this is hard to wrap our minds around. Because we know that Jesus, this person, was in flesh just like me and you were. Yet he's claiming that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Now these are Jesus' claims about who he is. Matthew 22, 41 through 46. Matthew 22, 41 through 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jegus asked them, what thank ye of Christ? Whose son is he? 
they say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, and he's referring back to Old Testament, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? He's not the son of David. He's the son of God. That's what he's telling them. He said, to prove it to you, David didn't call me his son. David called me Lord. Because David said, David said, the Lord said unto my Lord. Who's he calling his Lord? Jesus. David is calling Jesus his Lord. He's saying, God said to my Lord. That's how we would interpret that. Mark 8, 29, it's the verse where Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ. God, uh, Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, because God the Father has revealed that to you. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given me. Mark 14, 61 through 62, the high priest, high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. Now, that is huge. Why? Because God always said, I am the great I am. See, if you ask me who I am, I ain't nothing but Chad. God is the great I am. He is. Period. And Jesus makes this claim, and this would have been huge. This would have been huge to the Pharisees to hear this. I mean, of course, they're renting their clothes. They're, they're going crazy on these claims that he makes. But he proves himself so often. Uh, not so every time he opens his mouth, he proves himself. Okay, once again, in John 8, 58, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Again, I am. Matthew 9, 1 through 6. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore thank ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? Well, what's the obvious answer there? It's a lot easier to just say, My sins be forgiven thee, because you can't actually see it done. So it's got to be harder to say arise and walk. So what does Jesus say? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. What's Jesus saying? If I can tell this guy to get up and walk, and he does, then I can heal sin. Or I can forgive sin. 
Matthew 26, 59 through 68. Hang with me here. We don't have much left. Matthew 26, 59 through 68. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And the last, at the last came two false witnesses, and they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple and to build it in three days. You know what? I skipped over that one because I got that wrote down up there. I don't know how I missed that. But we will read that. Well, let's go there first. John 2.19. John 2.19. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What's he talking about? He's talking about his resurrection now. He's talking about him being the temple. Okay, and then so we go back to 26. <clears throat> and in verses, I'll start over in verses uh, 61. I'll start back on 61 and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. <clears throat> now, go to Hebrews 1, verse 3. I think I have it here. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm actually going to read one through four, and then I got another text on here I'm going to. God, who at sundry times and in different manners spake in the times passing to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, this is Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, and, and in Colossians also, and this would be uh, Paul writing this. Now, and I'm concentrating on this first verse, but I'm going to read a few verses here. But, but in Colossians 1, verse 15, he's talking about Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now he's talking about Jesus. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And we've touched on verses that Jesus actually said these things about himself that he just said there. 
Now, <clears throat> I want us to go to John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, 14 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He was born six months later, but he was before John, just like he was before Abraham. Now, I want to go back to verse 14 again and read the first sentence. And the Word was made flesh. Now, go back to Luke 2. Back to Luke 2 and look at verse 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Right there. The Word became flesh. That's what he's speaking of. And this is what I say to you. Mary, Mary is the mother of Jesus. She's not the mother of God. The Word has always been. The Word in the flesh came here at this perfect time in history. Now I'm going to tell you all something. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. There was, as a Christian, there was many years I didn't even really know this concept that Jesus always was. But as a believer, as a believer, it has become important for me to understand these things, to understand God and who He is better, and, and, and to grow as a Christian. And, and maybe I'm not telling any of you in here anything new today, but maybe there's somebody that really needs to hear that. Amen. Mary was the mother of the Word in flesh. Amen. Understand that. In flesh only. Because the Word always was. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, I'll finish up with just saying this. That I've gave you and I took a little more time than I wanted to, but, but I gave you some tidbits. I, I'm talking about I haven't even touched the surface, really, of who Jesus is. That's what this is all about. It's all about who Jesus is. And in John, 
the last chapter of John, chapter 21, the last verse, 25, he says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written. Folks, I mean, the thing is, is even, even what we have, even God's written word that He has given us, it's impossible to write everything about Him. Impossible. Because it's just, He's, he's, he's the all in all. He is everything. All that there is and all that there ever was and all that there ever will be is all by Him and none other. And I close with this, and I tell you this, just like Mary, me and you need to ponder these things. Maybe you're in this church this morning and you've never pondered about your lost condition, about your sinfulness, about the fact that you're separated from God forever and ever. That's just a nice way of saying that if you die in your sins, there's hell. That's destination. It's up to each one of us individually to ponder these things, just as Mary did. It's up to me to ponder my life and what I'm doing for Christ. It's up to you to ponder your life and either what you're doing with Christ or what you will do with Christ or how you're living for Christ. I don't know where you're at. But this message, this idea of pondering, it applies to every one of us each and every day until we draw the last breath. We all need to ponder about who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, humbly I do come before you, God, just in all think about who I am in light of you. And God, knowing that <coughs> by the power that is in Christ, that by the power of his death to take my sin away, by the power of his resurrection to have everlasting life, God, I know through that and through only that means do I have life eternal with you. And God, I can't do anything but praise you. And God, just throw myself at your mercy because I know I don't deserve it. Yet God, by faith, you can find favor in us sinners. How great you are. God, guide us this morning as we ponder these things and as we, as we make decisions. And God, I pray that whatever decisions are being made, that we follow through and we step out and do as you told us. Father, forgive us for we do. In Jesus' name, amen.
dismissed. Brother Chad. Yes. I want everyone to be sure to lift up Crystal in the morning so we have yes. the surgery. And Amen. Amen. She's on her prayer list, and it says as much on her prayer list that she's having surgery in the morning. So, the importance of the prayer list, look at it. Right when you wake up in the morning, pray for Crystal. Any others? If not, look at all Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday.